So um, I grew up pretty much without any ritual, certainly without any religious ritual. And I had no reference point for the value of ritual. And uh, if anything, I probably, if, you know, if someone forced me to vote or something about this issue, I'd probably kind of be opposed to ritual. A little bit, you know, the kind of slightly negative associations with it, especially if it had to do with religion. And, um, and uh, it started to change uh, big time when I came to San Francisco Zen Center. There's a lot of ritual. And uh, the first change was when I was um, just a guest student there in 1975, and they had a full moon ceremony. And maybe there was a little bit more oomph for power behind it that evening because someone was filming it for some documentary. And so anyway, it was a packed, packed room, it was dark room, and, and people started doing this bowing and this chanting. And the feeling I had was that uh, the sounds of the chants were like the primordial sounds coming out of the depths of the earth. You know, like, uh, like um, wisdom, wisdom about uh, delusion comes out of this deep place deep in the earth and in the from below. It was quite, you know, I felt like the earth was speaking in some powerful way. And, <clears throat> and then um, uh, the, the son of the man who wrote um, Zen, the Art of Motorcycle Racing, Chris Persick, was killed outside of Zen Center. He was knifed. And uh, so I went to the memorial service. Big, lots of people came. And, and um, I had been to almost no memorial services or anything like that growing up either. Rituals wasn't part of my life. No one important in my life had died growing up. And so, you know, my great-grandparents died, but th- that was back in Norway. And so I didn't go for their funerals. And, um, and uh, I was stunned by the power of the emotional processing that went on in the ritual of uh, this memorial funeral ceremony for this young man who had been killed. And then I was ordained as a Zen monk, mm-hmm. which is a ritual. And, uh, and I kind of thought that a ritual, you know, just, yeah, you got, you got to go through these steps. And, you know, I was, I was interested in being a monk. That was, I was quite sincere and dedicated to that idea, but the ritual of going through the ceremony, I didn't have any, you know, like, I guess I got to go through these steps and mm-hmm. this is what it takes and, and you know, I'll be a monk tomorrow. And, uh, and I was also uh, stunned by how powerful that ritual was for me, that how it transformed me in a certain way and uh, changed my understanding of how to be alive, changed my understanding of how to be a Zen student or my relationship to Buddhism and uh, to the world, really. And um, so I'm, I was a slow to appreciate the power of it. And ritual is one of the uh, very powerful tools in the chaplain's toolkit. And ideally, uh, chaplains are ritual masters, meaning they're able to make up rituals on the spot. And it doesn't have to be much. You know, some people are aversive to ritual like me and participate in rituals without knowing it. Um, Saying hello and how are you and the other person says fine, that's a ritual for the most part. People usually don't mean exactly how are you and they don't want to go to the whole list of all the ways you are. They just want to know, here I am, there you are, we're acknowledging each other. It's a ritual. Shaking hands is a ritual. Uh, all kinds of things, you know, are kind of done for more kind of ritual purposes in our lives, in ordinary lives. So, uh, 
so to learn about ritual and and um, be beautiful what Christina said this morning about the ritual as a way of uh, either igno- uh, uh, acknowledging or accentu- accentuating the word you use accentuating um, some truth uh, that needs to be accentuated or helping to let go of some truth that needs to be let go of so there's all kinds of purposes so we're going to just do a, a very simple thing we're going to make a little ritual just on the spot so if everyone can come forward and let's make a circle come up next to me here and and each of you will receive a little gift and um, don't read it when I give it to you but just hold it maybe with it down Okay, so we'll start this way, and if you could uh, read, maybe use the mic, and, uh, and, and read, uh, go around and read your piece. Rituals in Buddhism. Rituals, as important elements of human life, have been a significant aspect of Buddhist practice since the time of the Buddha. Rituals are a form of language that expresses many dimensions of our human condition, including our relationships to others and to our spiritual life. As actions done with others to share our common values, rituals help create community and mutual support. As a way of being mindful, they can bring a heightened awareness to aspects of our experience needing attention. Rituals often involve symbolism and speak to our subconscious, and when they are repeated frequently, they shape our dispositions. When done wholeheartedly, they help us discover and express some of our deepest feelings and aspirations. Rituals can be as ordinary as greeting people with a handshake and as extraordinary as an elaborate memorial ceremony that brings healing to grief. Rituals can transform the ordinary into something extraordinary as when People share a blessing and silence before eating. And the extraordinary can be seen as ordinary when universal compassion is regularly awakened through daily prayer or chanting of sacred texts. Rituals share many characteristics with poetry, theater, and dance, and evoking emotions, intuition, and new perspectives. Because rituals touch more aspects of our mind, heart, 
than simple prose and didactic explanations, rituals, like the arts, can enrich our lives and engage the full range of our being. Rituals have much in common with prayer, including how they impact participants. This connection is not surprising when prayer is understood as ritualized speech. Rituals can strengthen and highlight the values, intentions, and experiences we have chosen to live by. This is particularly useful when other concerns cause us to forget or relinquish what is important to us. At major life transitions, people often mark the new direction with a ritual, sometimes accompanied with vows, as in wedding or ordination vows. Some rituals are journeys that have a beginning, middle, and end. They are journeys in which participants undergo a number of possible changes, the most common being an entry into a special, sometimes sacred, location and time, and then return to one's ordinary life. At times, rituals can be transformative. The combination of setting an intention, heightened focus, emotional involvement, and embodied participation can enhance the effect rituals have. They can affirm what we know is true. They can translate what we understand into how we live. What we know in what we know into who we are. At times they can help people heal, develop and complete psychological and spiritual processes better than any other method. This is particularly true in times of crisis. An interesting way of appreciating the value of ritual is to observe how they can help children feel safe and cared for. Daily rituals give a sense of familiarity and regularity in a life that a young child may feel is confusing and rapidly changing. Making a significant change with a ritual can erase the transition and reassure that marking this change with a ritual can ease the transition and reassure the child of their connection to the family. This can be as simple as having a cookie party to mark the first day of kindergarten. Often enough, Western Buddhists have seen rituals as superficial and as a distraction from the real work of practice. This view overlooks the way in which rituals are a practice as much as meditation. In the past and in the present, there are many Buddhists for whom ritual practices have been their primary way of inner transformation. For example, as one of the most common Buddhist rituals, bowing can be, a powerf- can be powerful and evoke and strengthen a person's reverence, gratitude, humility, and ability to let go of self-centeredness. Some English translations of the Buddhist teachings list adherence to rites and rituals as an attachment one must overcome. This has led some Buddhists to reject all ritual. But the Buddha's concern was the attachment not to the rituals. Furthermore, the appropriate and literal translation into English is adherence to precepts and religious observance, a much broader category than rites and rituals. As important as precepts and religious observances are in Buddhism, 
they alone cannot liberate people. To rely on them for liberation is... A hindrance to liberation. (laughs) 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 But precepts, religious observances, and ritual can have an important role for other purposes. Not least of these is preparing the ground for the deep letting go, which is what is required for liberation. Therefore, one of the important functions of Buddhist ritual is to strengthen people's connection to the Dharma and to the intention, respect, understanding, community, and experiential dimension associated with the Dharma. While feeling a stronger connection to the Dharma can be meaningful in and of itself, it can also fuel a person's practice when it is challenging to do. Types of Buddhist rituals. Number one, going for refuge. This is probably the most significant ritual connecting people to the Dharma. This is the oldest and most common ritual through most Buddhist traditions. Two, offering homage or respect to the Buddha, to Buddhist teachers, teachings, or other important areas of Buddhist life. Three, making offerings or practicing dana. Four, confession of faults. Five, precept ceremonies. Six, calling on spiritual forces for support or protection. Seven, blessings, aspirations, and Brahma-Vihara prayers. Eight, dedication of merit. Nine, Rites of passage, such as weddings and funerals. Ten, initiations and ordinations. Um, The grammar and vocabulary of ritual. Rituals are most effective when the persons creating or officiating them does so wholeheartedly. To lead or participate with hesitation or reluctance diminishes a ritual's power. In order to better engage in a ritual, it is is helpful to know their most common structure and elements. By knowing a structure, one can more easily create new, perhaps impromptu, rituals by bringing into the structure some some of the many possible elements. In a sense, the structure of ritual is its grammar, and what fills the structure is the vocabulary. The bigger one's ritual vocabulary, the more one can accomplish through ritual. Rituals involving a single activity, like a bow or a blessing, do not have a temporal structure. It is the rituals that take participants on a journey which have structure. The simplest way of understanding the structure is dividing it up into a beginning, middle, and an ending. Each of these three phases has its own function. The notes that follow are mostly meant to help someone create new or impromptu rituals. The beginning of a ritual. The beginning sets the stage for the middle. Its primary function is to differentiate the ritual activity from the participant's or ordinary activities and concerns. 
the, this creates a focus and a context for the main body of the ritual. Sometimes this is accomplished by going to a special place such as a temple. Sometimes it is achieved by demarking a special, perhaps sacred, place and time. For an impromptu ritual, this can be done quickly by having the participants form a circle. A meaningful, sacred object could be placed in the middle of the circle or in a prominent place. Other things that can contribute to creating a focused environment is sprinkling the space with water, burning incense, or lighting a candle. In some rituals, the participants clearly let go of activities and identities associated with daily life. This can be as simple as putting down anything people are holding or taking off their shoes. In some ceremonies, a period of silence, meditation, or time alone helps give power to the next phase of the ritual. Often the beginning of a ritual involves saying something that sets the intention and context for the ritual. This can be stories or descriptions of of what is left behind, what the focus of the ritual is about, or what the intention is going to be. Sometimes participants are quiet while an officiant does all the speaking. Sometimes participants are asked simple questions that prepare them for what is going to happen next, such as, are you ready? Or, are you ready to do X? The middle part of a ritual is sometimes referred to as a period of transition It is a transition between leaving one's ordinary life and then returning. Sometimes it is a period between leaving one identity or way of being and starting a new one. It can be seen as a blank slate ready for something new. It is a time when participants are open and willing to hear or do something different. The middle phase is when the main purpose of the ritual is enacted or evoked. The purpose can be to offer a blessing, connect to what is sacred, remember what is important, heal, set an intention, make a commitment, mark a new beginning, initiation or transition, welcome or honor something or someone. Let go of something, leave something behind, or say goodbye. Evoke something meaningful, e.g. strength, support, courage, patience, love, compassion, wisdom. Facilitate forgiveness, reconciliation, or speaking the truth. Prepare for upcoming events. Receive particular wisdom teachings. Tell one story. Celebrate. Once the main intention of a ritual is finished, it is useful to have a time focused on bringing it to a close and helping the participants to integrate the ritual activity back into the life they left behind. The ending is a time to restate or appreciate the intention of the ritual and explicitly connect it to the life one is returning to. An object associated with the ritual and its purpose can be given to the participants to accompany them back into their life and serve as a reminder. 
The most common Buddhist element at the end of a ritual is the dedication of merit. For people who don't think in terms of merit, this can be understood as a stated aspiration that the benefits of the ritual be shared with others. The ending is also a time to offer appreciation for the ritual and acknowledge the people involved. It can be helpful to give a ritual a definitive end. This can be a final bow, the ringing of a bell, or the enthusiastic proclamation, sadhu, 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 usually translated into English as excellent, excellent, excellent. So thank you all so much for this. And let's sit down, go back to our usual, like that we are. Yeah, yeah. So uh, before I turn it over to Christina, I just want to hear of some of you. Uh, uh, what did you observe? What, what did you put? What, what, it was a ritual of sorts. So what were the ritual elements, and what happened? So we physically moved together. That was the first thing you you suggest that we sit, stand together in a circle and there is a sense of like, oh, something special going to happen. Um, and then for myself, I noticed that my energy attention was more focused because we were in a, uh-huh. because we were in a smaller uh, standing, just the physical space between people was closer. So there was a heightened sense of attention. Mm-hmm. Um, and everyone shared. That was another element. The, just somehow it just uh, made me more, more present great thank you I felt that we were all very respectful and you know um, because we had we knew this was about ritual I at least and, and maybe others you know, knew that, okay, this was different, now we need to be quiet, now we need to be respectful. Thank you. I really loved how you were having such a good time with it. (laughs) It made it exciting. It was really cool. Um, I had a question. Uh, can, can, can we wait for the questions? Oh, okay. Let's just do this, this first. I thought it was interesting and kind of funny how we were talking about the middle at the end. <laughs> well, we did talk about the we did talk about the end as well. I mean, I, but we did cr- talk about the end at the end. Christina left didn't left didn't uh, read the title the end. Yes, toward the end, yeah. I was leaving that for you. <laughs> Oops, yes, there you go. Um, there was repetition, <clears throat> and there was full participation. There was what? Full participation. Uh-huh. Uh-huh.
just thought of one, no distractions. Mm-hmm. Nice. When do you think the ritual began? When you, well, did we get in the circle first and then you gave us the paper? So when we got into the circle, uh-huh. that was the beginning. Okay. Yeah. Any other opinions about that? Yeah, so maybe it, maybe maybe the beginning was a little earlier. The announcement. Mm. Any other uh, theories about the beginning? You're starting to so starting to clear out the center. Some of you didn't notice, but there was some clearing, some preparation that went into it. Uh huh. Getting huh? The. Um, in terms of the beginning part of the ritual, getting ready to go into a new space, uh, part of it also was my telling you this, my personal story and the stories of, you know, they were, they were significant stories for me, but, you know, especially talking about this murder. I mean, that's, that's a kind of powerful thing to say and suddenly into the room. And to talk about that in the context of what we're about to do, that in some sense, you know, set, set a certain stage. Um, for what we're about to do. So in some sense, that was kind of the beginning part, the, the beginning to le- change ourselves, leave behind what's ordinary, perhaps, and get ready to go into a new space. And to, into, in that new space, to be, um, you know, in a, in a period of transition or be willing to be changed or let something happen. And, uh, and when's the, when was the end of the ritual? <laughs> She's a, she learns fast. <laughs> yeah, so in some ways this, this is, could be considered the, the ending of it, you know, acknowledging what happened and processing it a little bit and preparing, you know. So it wasn't just simply the bow, thank you, yeah. Um, I like uh, the dedication of your uh-huh. really. Great, so... Uh, would you like to do a little dedication of merit? We'll, we'll call that the, the final end. Oh, boy. <laughs> <sighs> May the loving, powerful energy that we created in the ritual share with ourselves, move out into the community, move out into the United States, into the White House, and into the world. May all beings be happy. Mm, thank you very much. So all impromptu, kind of. And, and, um, and you know, part of the reason I wanted to do this is show how simple it can be to create something. Just, just simply just forming a circle and having this something participatory creates a very different container, sense, and mood, atmosphere, emotions. And sometimes it's uh, chaplains... If they could do something like this suddenly and change the atmosphere, the atmosphere might not be productive. It might not even be helpful to have a conversation with someone in certain atmospheres. But if you could say, let's gather together and do a prayer, let's gather together and just stand in a circle in the hallway and something, it begins, things begin to shift. So thank you. All right. So um, in some ways that makes something very complex, very simple. But I'd like to give you a few more tools in your toolbox around crafting rituals. So we'll do that next. Uh, I'm a ritual purist. 
So I'm, I'm going to say that uh, the ritual really didn't begin until it was named, and that if you wanted to begin with the preparation of your story, you need to name it first, and that it ended when we bowed at the end of the circle and the circle began to break up. Now, that doesn't mean the work of the ritual was over. And then we called it back into a a kind of an an echo or a coda with the offering of merit. So we re-ritualized our attention. But um, the integration part, that's why so often after a ritual, like a wedding or even a funeral, whatever, people will break up and they're laughing and there's a lot of buzz and energy going on and they're eating and they're, they're integrating. And you could say that's a dimension of what comes forward from the ritual. And it's, it's, it doesn't matter exactly when you say it begins and ends, but I have a reason and I will explain it. Um, In order to do a ritual that has that kind of power, it helps if people um, have a sense of connection. We already have that sense, so that makes it easy to move into uh, the container of the ritual, which should be a physical container of some sort. So it is absolutely, I echo and underscore that moving into a different space, clearing the space, creating an environment that um, will serve the purpose of the ritual. And for me, I would name what we just did as, as a very powerful teaching ritual. And what a sacred thing teaching is, and what a holy thing it is to be able to learn. You know, that's a fairly new in, um, in, in its access to many, many people. It's, it's often been the purview of the privileged, and we are privileged, uh, to learn. And, and to, teaching has had rituals around it. I mean, just look at some of the rituals that we kind of salivate over in um, the Harry Potter movies with respect to Hogwarts, which really come from Oxford and Cambridge, the university rituals. And that came out of the sense of the, that was holy work and, and, and so is ascribed with kinds of traditions and elements that raise up that sense of it. But the purpose of it, it's really important if you're crafting a ritual to know what the, its purpose is before you do it or as you're pulling it together, as you're thinking about it, as you're creating it. And again, I agree when you're talking about a, a ritual of a journey that was a short journey in the middle of a longer journey that we're all taking together. And so... Um, it had that beginning, middle, and end. And you're moving from what to what. And I would say, for me, before the ritual, um, and I'd been able to sort of like read scripts, so to speak, because I'd seen the essay, um, there is such power in gathering, focusing all of our energy, and then hearing each paragraph read with a distinctive voice and um, attention of the reader. So moving from kind of an overview, I would say, into a much deeper heartfelt rhythm of that learning of those elements. Uh, And every ritual has that dimension. Something you start in one place and you end in another. Um, And as the ritual crafter and presiders, perhaps, it's important for you to be really clear about that. I love that paragraph about the person conducting the ritual step forward with confidence and energy. It really impacts it. Um, 
I'm sure we've all been to places where you have somebody who gets up and kind of like reads a prayer and you can't even hear them and you can't see them and they're rushing through and you feel like their mind is somewhere else. Well, it it disempowers the ritual. Um, So the advanced preparation, you know, yes, you can do a simple bedside prayer and once you've done that enough, you're not even aware that you're moving into the preparation. You know, it's just natural. But a ritual that has this kind of a journey does require reflection, um, consultation perhaps with others. Uh, It's good to outline it and to think about it in terms of environment, order of action, roles, and the items that you will need. We've, yes, so so outline, um, so the environment, once you've set your purpose and you have a sense of what you're going to do, your environment, the order of action, the roles of all participants, and any any ritual items that you'll need. We were fairly spare here um, as a teaching ritual how appropriate to have paper with reading. And for me, a powerful part of that ritual was Gil as teacher going to each person and handing each of us our paragraph and having his presence and that, that lovely blessing of the teacher's presence as it was handed to us. There's something in that, that physical movement that was really uh, important. And that was, our, that was our item. So the immediate preparation, and you know, we cleared the space, we talked about that, we gathered together in the circle. But there's also an inner preparation uh, that especially the one who's conducting the ritual goes through, where you kind of ground and center yourself. You yourself begin to enter into a space where you're preparing your heart and mind to attend to the group. And um, I would say to be a dimension or extension of the container itself. Uh, And you feel that often as kind of almost a shift of consciousness that can create a kind of vertigo when you're first doing that. But then you then over time will have more of a sense of a, you're dropping into some a, a place. Much like when you sit down on your cushion and you drop into meditation. You know, once you've been meditating long enough, there's kind of a, a click perhaps that happens. Um, and you kind of know when you're really there. Uh, and then you can really begin to make some progress with the, med- with the concentration, but um, same when you're presiding. Um, does this resonate with those of you who've done rituals? Okay, good. Something I'm a big, co- um, and this is where people who, who like rituals and people who don't often disagree, I, I like to think about if it's uh, um, a ritual that is intended to be super powerful that you somehow involve each of the senses so that the whole body becomes involved. So it's, it is our heart, it is our mind, but it's also our body. And that's why it, it, often you'll see lights either dimmed or brightened. Um, there'll be something else, visual candles, visuals of some kind, uh, images, um, something beautiful to focus on. We talked about putting something in the center. When there was nothing there, I thought, ah, that's the void, that's the beautiful emptiness that, you know, sustains all of us. And so, you know, we fill that in for ourselves, but we can also um, kind of invite that by what we put around in the environment to to um, atten- to bring our sight into a, a attention. 
sound very clearly bell chant music if you really want a powerful music a powerful ritual you need to use sound pretty strongly um i forgot to bring this i meant to bring this today i'll bring it another time but this would have been the perfect day for it i have a crystal bell that's like really um pretty big and you hold it and you can process with it and whenever I uh, was closing a space in one of our hospitals or um, a, a group was leaving one part of one area of their department and moving everything to another area, you know that happens a lot in big organizations, we ritualized it by tolling the bell. And it had kind of a mournful but a heartful sound. And each person in that area was invited to tone the bell and walk around and... Um, just remember what took place in that place and to uh, dispel you know, our presence there and then move to our new space and invoke our presence in the new space. But sound can be, is, is very important. Smell is tricky because so many people are sensitive now to have chemical sensitivities, but traditionally incense, scented oils, and, and, and items that invoke a sense of smell, many times flowers will do this, but people can even be allergic to flowers, so it's a sensitive issue. But um, if you can incorporate uh, that dimension, it can be important as well. You know, you don't normally, in most uh, contexts of the work we're doing together invoke anything that has to do with taste but the ritual of breaking bread together and all of that almost always uh, either precedes proceeds or comes after a strong ritual that's very common and then I think in the work that we do as chaplains probably one of the most important uh, senses to invoke is is touch and um When, for example, someone dies in a facility and the family gathers and you gather in a circle, people will often be holding hands really strongly and and actually being together in that physical way to sort of stay grounded. Um, And this is where, you know, with that whole sense of the, the diminished state that someone feels when they're actually, when you're dealing with illness, here, this is what I'm talking about, that sense of being expelled from the, the world of wholeness and from the community of wholeness. Touch connect is a, a bridge to restoration to that community of the whole and, um, and also uh, a sense of we're all still here. So it might not be the chaplain who touches a patient. It might be one of the family members or someone else. We've talked about the sensitivities about touch. Uh, but But some sense of how you are connected and here as we stood so close together that kind of satisfied that sense of our physical presence in one place and that sense of touch. Anointings address this. This is why so many religious traditions have anointings as a sign of healing. And I did bring my little bag of tricks just to show you some things. This is kind of like show and tell. Um, So when I am working with a family or a patient um, and they have asked for a ritual of healing. I have holy oils that I bring and put a little bit in a in a container like this one. And um, often we'll say, uh, you know, we'll work with a family ahead of time. And in my mind, like with Gills, that's kind of when we're beginning that 
preparation and moving into this ritual space of how we will use the oil for the patient and for each other. And I always ask if, if um, family members as well would like uh, to be touched with healing. And I've never had a family member say no because the, it, sometimes it's the first time they realize how traumatized they've been by their loved one being so ill. But anyway... Oils are lovely. Oils have such a long history in healing. And, you know, from massage to baby massage to anointings for healing, for anointings after death. It's just that touch is a really important part of our humanity. And there's a super lot of hunger for it in the chaplaincy that's dealing with illness. Oh, anoint means to place oil with a healing intention on another. And normally, the most non-invasive way to do it is um, on the forehead. And usually just with a spot. You know, in, in Catholicism, you do it with a cross. But most people, it's just, just with a touch, a healing touch. I wonder if could use some anointing now. Yeah? So I will come to you, um, since I'm already on my feet, and I'll say, would you be willing to be anointed for, for healing, for whatever in you is not in, at ease today, that you might invite in greater ease? Lovely. All right, Phil. So may you be healed in all the dimensions of your person. There, ask for more ease this day. And another um, another place where we often have healing is in the hands. So I will ask you to open your hands and invite healing to your body through all aspects of your person so that you may be at ease and free from all harm. What's wonderful about this and about touch is you may not remember what someone ever says, but you will remember that sense of being infused with the loving care of another person and the healing intention that they brought. It just touches something in us, literally. So this is oil, and see, this is how we kind of are in this legacy this is oil that was blessed by the bishop um, who uh, consecrated me as, a, well, I was ordained a priest and then consecrated a bishop, and it's from my bishop. And so it's very special to me, and he sends it out every year, actually, on uh, this coming Monday, which is the Chrism Monday, the Monday of Holy Week in uh, the Catholic tradition. But any olive oil or almond oil that you put in a little bottle and put on your altar and move your heart into, you know, it has meaning for me because of that. Yeah. <laughs> if you're dealing with a really gritty situation, yes. 
<laughs> oh, I love it. All right. <laughs> so, the one last important um, uh, element of ritual that I don't think is 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 identified very often is that you are uh, as we move into a ritual, we are. Um, preparing a horizontal space, but we're also invoking a vertical dimension of what I would call the holy or the sacred or the transcendent. It can be the ancestors, it can be the legacy that we're in, it can be the dharma, it could be all beings who um, have dedicated the, their themselves, bodhisattvas you know, to good and, and, and so forth, so that there is a horizontal preparation and a vertical preparation. And so the beginning of a ritual often will invoke, you know, have a prayer of invocation. That's what an invocation is. It's an inviting in of the holy. It's an inviting in of the more than us. And whatever the more than us of the particular group you're working with will be meaningful. Um, here, in, in our ritual of, of teaching and learning, what I, what I sensed is that, you know, the kind of that blessing of the teachings, the Dharma, the teacher who carries that in his lineage, and that's the kind of that transcendent dimension that comes into focus and helps the rest of us stay so attentive. Um, so, in the middle, as you do the essence of the particular ritual, the laying on of hands, the anointing, um, Silent intention, often that's something that can be done. Um, and you can prepare, you need to prepare a group a little bit if there's going to be silence and they don't come together already, uh, especially if you're working in an institutional environment of some kind. You don't want to tell people everything because you want the ritual to do its work below the level of their linear mind. But you don't want them to be standing back, kind of trying to track it either and then holding back. For people to really enter into it, they need to know a little bit about what's coming, about how long it's going to be. That's really important to some people. And how how we'll begin it and how we'll end it. So I usually give a little of that to people before um, entering into it. Otherwise, it, it won't have the same power. They won't be able to kind of fully enter into it. It creates that trust. And then in the middle, you know, kind of as the one performing the ritual, you want to sense whether there's a need to adjust anything um, and to leave room for spontaneity. Like we had that beautiful moment where, you know, Dylan's sentence ended in the middle and Joanna picked up with it and it was such a kind of a delightful addition to have be, be one voice and then to have her voice come in with a hindrance. I mean, you know, it's very, stri- it strikes us. So you want to be easy with, with that, with the kind of the things that happen in the ritual that are, that just come along because it's dynamic. And then finally in the endings, um, because so often there has been a change in consciousness in the group, uh, you want you, that's why the, being really clear about when it ends is important in an, in a in a ritual of healing in any event and you want to close close it with that intention or prayer and you kind of then want to close it with close that vertical by thanking you know the ancestors thanking the, whatever dedicating the merit it really does bring that transcendent dimension to a close and it it feels better for people when they leave and are moving on
And then you re- return, as Gil said, to this, you know, the hor- what I call the horizontal chronological time. The other is kind of that time out of time. This returns us to, so we, we close the time out of time, and then we come back to our regular everyday time, um, the non-ritual time, place, awareness. And often then you'll have a sending forth, or you'll have a, an echo with an integrative time of sharing in some fashion. So, what are the rituals of healing and chaplaincy that we're invited to do? Simple, you know, the, it's true, just the, the, the strength and joy in our greeting can be very important. Prayers, uh, intentions, blessings, um, very short anointings for healing. Uh, when I Actually, I didn't bring over my napkin. Usually when I do that, I actually offer a, a, a cloth to the person so that they can dab it or dry their hands or whatever. It kind of uh, closes out that piece of it. Um, confessions will come to you. Have you noticed that? Where people tell you things all of a sudden that you didn't expect to hear? Yeah. Uh, and when that starts to happen in a conversation, you're actually moving into kind of ritual space, I think, because they're choosing you to, to confess something that's important to them. Uh, a regret... Uh, maybe something they realized about their life. It could be all kinds of things. Um, But to receive that with a kind of a ritual presence is is really important. And sometimes people say, I'd like to make a confession. And if that's not you or your tradition, it's important to clarify that with the person. You know, what do they mean? If they really mean they want a real confession and you're not comfortable with it, to then refer. Um, and have somebody come and help them with that. I think a lot of the rituals we do with, with people in the work as chaplains are rituals of goodbye, firm pending, or actual loss. And they can be small losses, like loss of a, of a function, or loss of a kidney, or loss of a body part. That's a big. Or loss of um, our youth. You know, sometimes a, a person will go in with a, a stroke or a hysterectomy, and they're... 30s or 40s or 50s, it's huge loss. And everyone's like, oh, that's no big deal. I had it. You'll get over it. You know, it's kind of what you were saying. And people really appreciate if you say, oh, would you like to, to do a little ceremony of just saying goodbye? And I, I, every time I've ever done that with, with a woman who's, you know, had a hysterectomy, she, she just begins to cry. Because, yes, yes, that was me since I was born, you know, and now I'm that part is gone and and that there are a lot of you can imagine there are a lot of things like that um rituals of self-care and staff care you can be very (coughs) creative with this like gil said pulling people together in a circle especially after there's been a trauma and just kind of hearing out what how is that for you how are you how are you um people appreciate that when a chaplain is able to do that um and then organizational rituals to clear or heal environments. Have you ever been in a place like a nursing home? Or I, I, prisons are pretty gritty. I don't know that you can do much there. But I often feel like, oh my gosh, I wish I had my holy water and my bell. Um, but I was in a hospital once where we had to evacuate the hospital and have it gassed to kill the mold that was behind. So many things, there was no way that it was a newer hospital, too. There was no way it could be um, cleared in any other fashion. 
And this was pretty traumatic to the community, to the people who worked there, all of that. So the day that we cleared it, we went through and we told our bell. And then we went outside the whole property of the hospital where they had put up a chain link fence. And we wrapped the fence in ribbon all the way around us about two miles to several hours and there was a whole team of us Um, and then when that was wrapped we basically let let it that go into the its own process of healing and had a ceremony for that which we filmed so that we could share it with people who were either not there or not their shift or whatever but everyone could have some of that and then they did the horrible gassing which was pretty horrific to even think about that we would then go back in and it would be a hospital again but they did it it was cleared um there were several teams that went in at various levels and finally then the chaplaincy team went in and and uh you know we put on our ritual garb which was important because that gave us a sense of protection and and blessed the whole space again and then came back in and then we once that had happened, we cut the ribbon up into pieces, and anybody who worked there had a piece of the ribbon, so that they, you know, they were part of that experience that day. And uh, people still talk about that the whole time, and talk about that how helpful that ritual was to normalize what was happening when what was happening really wasn't that normal, but it was our way of getting it down to a human scale. Um, so environments can be cleared and blessed that way as well. All right, so. Uh, uh, recently, I was invited to uh, come to the Kaiser Hospital here to uh, help perform the uh, blessing of the hands. Oh, which yes. Which is a, apparently a common hospital ritual once a year. I've never uh, seen it or done it. Uh, I couldn't do it, so I uh, found two graduates from our program uh, to go and do it. And there is going to happen in May. But can you say what that is? Yes, I almost, I almost thought we might do that here. Okay, yeah. The blessing of hands, but um, why not? Yeah, we should we do that? There are hands here. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> should we incorporate it as part of our last piece? Oh, what do you think? Because I think that might be uh, powerful to do Great. it as part of... Okay, so we'll inc- I'll incorporate it into our last exercise. Because it is true, the blessing of hands for staff, I, I, yes, so important, which basically is saying these are hands that are healing and we'll go through it and you'll hear it. So I'm not going to tell you the whole thing. but um, and, then, and then to have that sense that what people are doing every day in their work to bring healing to the places they go is is honored, and uh, they're renewed, and so forth. So I think at this point, there's been a lot of talking, and you haven't done too much process among yourselves. I think it'd be really nice for you to digest all this, work with this idea of ritual, by having a conversation with a few. And then a conversation, you might talk about, uh, you might talk about some uh, um, important ritual you've been through in your life. And how, what was it about the ritual that made it important? What was transformative about it? And um, maybe in the scale of importance, maybe it wasn't that that important, but still, it's, there's probably something that's been the most important ritual. And uh, so you might share that with people. And uh, you might also talk a little bit about your relationship to ritual, how, what's your personal mm-hmm. relationship to the very idea. And there's many kinds of rituals, so but what's your relationship to ritual? So those are the two topics, I thought. 
And I thought that, uh, uh, I think right now we're 19. So maybe we could have, yes? Oh, not to do what? Not do the ritual or not do the conversation. conversation. Oh, oh. What do the other people feel? Is this a common feeling, or to feel like you'd like to talk about this, or what's your what's your wish? Because it's fine to sit, sit and uh, once sit. Some people talk and some people sit quiet. Or do all of us need something? What's the, what's the, what's the need here? It's felt like a lot of stimulus. To do that. Also, maybe we should take a break. A silent break. Let's do a silent break. Mm-hmm. And um, and if people who like to be a little busy during the silent break is to clean the bathrooms or the, to empty the trash or the kitchen or something like that, so let's take a maybe a ten minute break in silence. 